The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi everybody, Andrew Gormley, CEO of Classic Flyers here. If you're interested in classic aviation and you want to get up close and personal to old aircraft and see some of New Zealand's aviation history, come across the Classic Flyers, Jean Batten Drive, Mount Monganui, right on the edge of the airport. You can go for flights in old aeroplanes like Boeing Stearmans and Harvards. There's lots to see. Kids' parties happening here all the time. We have functions and function rooms, business meetings, and a great cafe with excellent coffee. If you'd like to be involved with Classic Flyers, we also have the volunteer groups who do all things from helping out with function work or just on the main hangar floor with visitors and guests or birthday parties, right through to engineers who get involved in restoring some of our wonderful old aircraft assets. It's a great place and it's in a good location. Come and have a visit. Check out the website on www.classicflyersnz.com The new series on Aviation Extended, produced in collaboration with the Wings Over New Zealand podcast, is all about RAF Coastal Command in World War II. He said, look, just give me 40. 40 is what I need which is a tiny amount, really, of, you know, to give you a perspective of just um, how many, in relative terms, how few 40 is. We, the Americans, lose uh, 53 liberators. So just on one raid, we're losing more than actually Jubilee saying, listen, give me these and I can win the Battle of the Atlantic. They really were, I think, the most vital uh, long-range aircraft that Coast Command employed in the world. I've read in post-war accounts of the incident it was hopelessly undergun and it kind of annoys me because when it entered service and okay they only had two three or three machine guns but so did the frontline fighters of the RAF at that time for the battle of the atlantic i didn't think there could be any equivocation about the importance of coastal command's role dial into the series on aviation extended that's aviation-extended.co.uk or go to your podcast player and look us up. Eight episodes, 12 international speakers, 10 hours and lots of aircraft. Strategy, crews, the Battle of the Atlantic, strike wings, the fleet air arm and, did I say... There's bow fighters as well. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz. Welcome 
to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. The Wings Over New Zealand show is back after a bit of a break. And in this episode, I'm dipping into the archives for an old recording with the now late Dave Kohu. Dave was probably best known as a top dressing pilot, one of New Zealand's best. But he was also a fighter pilot in World War II, and he flew mosquitoes after the war. Here's Dave. For the recording, I always ask your full name, your rank and your service number to start with. Yes, well I was, uh, well, I think I finished up, uh, they brought in these new ranks, you know, from, uh, and I think I was um, uh, a pilot, pilot one. I was due to go to be what they called a master pilot, which was like a warrant officer, right. when I left. And uh, my uh, uh, my first service number was 431062. Then it was 72103 after the war. Right. But, uh, and your full name? David Stanley Kohu. Right. C-O-H-U, yeah. Yep. Hmm. Um, and your date of birth and place of birth? The 8th of the 6th, 1924, in, uh, in London. Right. So did you grow up in London or did you come no, out? No, I came out here, I think, when I was, must have been more five or six, I think, my mother came out here. Right. Whereabouts to? Uh, we went to, well, went to Auckland, yes, and I... Uh, did my schooling in Auckland and Wellesley Street School and then Mount Albert Grammar. Mm. Right, right. And did you have an interest in um, aviation from a young age? Uh, not, well, yes, well, I suppose I used, I used to make model aeroplanes and <clears throat> and then uh, at school well, they gave us, we had a, at Mount Albert Grammar we had a, what do you call it? A, one half day of doing military drill, you know, army, uh, which I was averse to, so then I, I joined the um, uh, training corps, you know. Air training corps. Air training corps, and uh, then I was leaving school, more or less went into the Air Force. Hmm. Right, right. But, uh, so, uh, so when was that? When, it was 1943, was it? Yes, yeah. So, hmm. Um, so tell me about getting into the Air Force. Where did you go? What did you do? Uh, well, I used to do, uh, or I was doing, uh, well, I used to go for lessons at night, you know, before, and uh, when I, before I went in, then I went in January of uh, 43, went to Omaka, where we did, um, just, you know, more or less, uh, square banging, you know, for a uh, month or two, I think, or six weeks, and then, and we went to um, aerodrome defence units at Tari, and from there I went to Rotorua, you know, doing the um, more, you know, the initial training of corps again, and uh, and then from. Uh, from there, I think I went back to Tyree and then onto the fly. Mm. Right, right. Mm. And 
So you're on the Tiger Moths at Tyree? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, what are your memories of that? Um, who was your instructor? Or? Uh, <coughs> I had a chap, uh, I think a chap started off with a, an older pilot, uh, Davidson. <coughs> and then I had Tom Newlands, long Tom Newlands, they call him about six foot three and, and uh, funnily enough we were both top dressing a little later on and where, where I used to be he would be screaming at me and, uh, and I had far more confidence than he had when we, when we were top dressing I think but uh, he was, you know, and I used to think he was a a bit of a, you know, a bit of a bastard, but uh, I, I got to know him and he was a good sort, old Tom. But, uh, I mean, most people have got uh, fond memories of Tiger Moths, but I did uh, thousands of hours of top racing in them and I've got, had no great love for them. <laughs> yeah, with super being poured down my neck, and, uh, but they were... Uh, but I, uh, I think I had a bit of an inferiority complex, I think, because when I went through, because they, all the chaps are <coughs> going through that all. I'd never, I never knew, I couldn't drive a motor car, I'd never driven one. Everybody would talk about the various cars, and, and when they talked about engines, I didn't understand the first thing they were talking about, but I learnt to pass exams through just memory and parrot fashion, you know. <laughs> and I sort of drifted along and just drifted along and drifted along until um finish up, you know, with my wings and that's uh, that's <clears throat> but I was quite surprised at myself, you know, fin <laughs> finishing up flying with all I certainly took longer than most of the other blokes I think to go solo. Yeah, tell me about your solo then and the tiger. Oh, it was just, I remember what was the favourite saying of the <coughs> instructors, I think oh, uh, Tom Newlands had got out, he said, oh, well, we, and he took the stick out and said, well, off, off you can go now, you know, you can, uh, and don't, don't break this aeroplane or I'll kick your dead ass, you know, and uh, this was a favourite saying of theirs, of course. <laughs> but, uh, off I went and I, I remember getting up there and <clears throat> and screaming, screaming a head off back and they are Tom, you know, and because he wasn't there. And, uh, <laughs> but when when he was instructing me at uh, when you went took me up at night flying, they could hear him screaming at me in the circuit, you know. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'll talk, you know, on a quiet night. Wow. <laughs> but, but he was. Uh, and I finished up. Tom was a good sort, and we became good friends here. Mm. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, uh, so you progressed from the tiger moths on to the Harvards? Yes, yes. It <coughs> went from uh, the Harvards, at least from the tiger moths, onto the Harvards up at um, Woodburn. Mm. And uh, from Woodburn, uh, <coughs> Woodburn, I think, uh, well, went from there to. Uh, to Ardmore mm. and uh, on the Kitty Hawks, I think they only did a couple of uh, they only did a couple of OTUs at at Ardmore because they uh, 
pupils, you know, having trouble uh, controlling. And there was a lot of it. I can remember uh, Vanderpump as our CO, and we'd been uh, we'd been on on this, our OTU there for about a fortnight, and he called us in and said, well. He'd always heard about the Canadian training not being up to New Zealand training, and he said, you blokes have proved it because, uh, he said, keep up the good work, you haven't had any accidents. Well, we had six in the next few weeks, and we had more than the uh, previous outfit, so that that took care of that. But, uh, we were, but the chaps, we were, and they only did the couple of OT, you know, OTUs there, and then they went back to... Uh, down to Ahake, I think. But the uh, Ahake or what? Because the, the chaps were having trouble controlling the, uh, you know, the, like controlling the aircraft with the great crosswinds and things that had uh, mm. right. more. It's um, it's interesting because I've talked to a lot of Corsair pilots who went through the training course, and oh. you're the, you're the first one who did the OTU at our Yes. All the others, have, they did it at a hockey, so yes. yeah, very interesting. Mm. What did you think of the, the Kitty Hawk? Oh, I liked it, yeah, very much. You know, I got, got up there and, uh, and she was a lovely aeroplane to aerobat and put the nose on the horizon and, uh, and I thought it was lovely. Mm. But uh, then I got onto the Corsairs and I liked, really liked them. It was my favourite aeroplane, I think. Mm. They were, uh, but most of the chap, we were the first crowd to go on to the Corsairs, and we, uh, I think I did four or five hours on the Corsairs, uh, just went solo and got to, before we went up the, um, and we went to Santa, from there on we were on Corsairs, but they didn't have the Corsair conversion unit when I went through, so then you had chaps joining the squad and afterwards uh, They've been on the Corsair conversion unit. They all all had different sort of. They had these strict training handling techniques on the Corsair that uh, that we didn't know about. But uh, that, uh, it was, you know, uh, it was all interesting. <laughs> so were you at up or were you posted to 23 Squadron? No, I went to 17 Squadron. Oh, okay. Mm. Okay, yep. Yeah. And. Uh, Half of the half of our O2 went to 22, and the other half went to uh, 17, and we were sort of together for, you know, two squadrons would go up there and uh, 20, and we were all mates together, sort of thing. Um, yeah, well, tell tell me about getting up to uh, Santo then, and and starting the. Um, oh, on the Corsairs. Yeah. Yes, we had. Uh, uh, we had a lot of trouble with the Corsairs because they had the uh, uh, the starters with these um, what do you call it? You had to, you had to put cartridge cartridge starters, and we have apparently had the summer cartridges, and we're trying to start them. And we used to have a hell of a, and of course they always said don't over prime them, but uh, don't over prime the Corsair. Corsair, whatever you do. Well, Tom Raybone could start the bloody things all the time, and he was over priming them, and uh, that's how we. Uh, but I can remember sitting there once and, uh, and using about ten or twelve cartridges, and still hadn't started. And old St George's 
sitting there waiting for me to get the air and he had a face like thunder and said, oh, you join up with us afterwards and off we, but uh, I got it started then. But, uh, I can remember another time getting it started and over-priming it and uh, obviously, and I could see, you know, the chap with the fire extinguisher looking all concerned and everybody, and uh, I just popped the throttle and and afterwards, the, you know, the blokes sitting there waiting for my aircraft, they said, Christ, we would have got out if we'd have been, you know, I didn't even know what bloody thing was on, it must have been all behind me, you know, but it must have looked terrible from, uh, and they said, oh, you did the right thing, you did everything right. I said, oh, that was good, but it was, it was only a fluke, I didn't know I was doing it. Mm. Yeah, but in our OTU we had, uh, the Maori boy, uh, Tura Kartney, he went through, went through his training. Tura and I went through together, and uh, it was uh, it was terrible that he was he got killed at our OTU because he, I'm sure he would have finished up, and you know, running, uh, having a lot to do with uh, politics and things because he was a real bright boy. But uh, it's just a shame. Did you have uh, Trevor Pearce on your course? Who? Trevor Pierce. Well, Shorty Pierce, yeah, yes, yes. He came back from Canada, I think. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think he uh, he came up. He was on the first tour with us, and we got as far as Guadalcanal or Bougainville, I think. And anyhow, he uh, he said he was having trouble, uh, you know, reaching the pedals on the and. Um, he got sent. He came back to New Zealand then and went on to um, drogue towing, I think. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. He was uh, flying the wildebeest at, at Ardmore. People were shooting at his targets. Yeah. He had a bullet go through his prop. Yeah. Well, he used to get very. Of course, when you're towing these drogues, you know, and it was all, um, uh, you know, for deflection flying. But the blokes got the best scores, got the further back, and old poor old Shorty would be screaming blue murder now. <laughs> so the chaps get behind him and shoot up. We, and we, you know, it was all competitive with, with us. And <laughs> yeah, Shorty Pierce. Mm. Yes, he was, uh, he'd done his training, I think, um, over in Canada. And then he'd spent a couple, I think he was a couple of years as a service pilot there uh, before he came back. So he hadn't just trained and come no, back. No, yeah. no. He was quite an experienced pilot by yes, the time he came I back. Yes, I think so, know. yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, I remember he used, uh, what was it? There was a, a Canadian pilot uh, that was recognised as being a real, you know, uh, Hear him, scare him, bloke, sort of oh, thing. Oh, um, was it screwball bearing? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. And all the um, shorty was shorty was telling us about this this bloody idiot, uh, you know, short of Burley, and uh, how he had, uh, you know, got him in the cart. And then I read a book afterwards by Burley, and he was the opposite there that that Pierce had got things all stuffed up. So who was telling the truth? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you'll see there'll be wild and woolly tales from all the <clears throat> young pilots, you know, that we 
every time we came down there was some crisis what we'd <laughs> have to talk about. <laughs> did, did you have any um, scary moments when you were doing your training in the Kitty Hawks or Corsairs? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I, I did s not. Re I was sitting ready to take off in, uh, at, at Ardmore in the Corsair, uh, in the Kitty Hawk at least, and worrying about the glycol, you know, overheating. And just up the taxiway, I could see this Harvard coming out, with, and it had uh, a chap called Bunny De Morse and uh, uh, Snow Snow Looker for Dick Looker, I don't think. No, Dick Looker was a pilot was coming in on the Kitty Hawk, and he he lost control as he landed, and uh, went up, and the thing ground it round the right round this. Uh, this Harvard and uh, took the head off poor old Bunny DeMoore sitting in the back seat there. And he'd been up in uh, he'd been up in Singapore where he'd had, you know, a couple of episodes up there and of course comes back and just up the O2. Now anyhow I, I saw this and I thought, geez, of course anything like that, you know, you'd be at the uh, we had a clang fund and I thought, well that'll be five dollars for in the clang fund, you know, that uh, and I just went off, um, took off when I came back uh, and landed the, uh, uh, they had uh, sort of, you know, they, they, they told me about it and I didn't, I saw it all happen but didn't realise how serious it was. And, mm. Another time when we were doing our OTU, because we were sent up with uh, the Kitty Hawks to do cine gunning. And uh, anyhow, <coughs> you're supposed to. The only way you could tell whether you didn't, you know, because you, the cine gunning and your uh, uh, your guns were all, um, you know, uh, coordinated. So you had, to, and you're supposed to look under the under the aircraft where you could look up and see if there's any, you know, any live ammunition there. And uh, well, of course, got out there and just. Looked up and went, got in the aeroplane, and and Bob Burns and myself were up there, and, we, and I was to do a tax. Uh, my first turn to do a tax on him with a cine gunning. And I, uh, anyhow, the first thing I did, uh, without thinking, I just, you know, pulled the trigger before, and fired a burst into um, into the, the hills, you know, near Ardmore, and uh, and off it went. Like, and I, of course. I said, geez, I called out to Bob, I said, we'd better, we'd better return, you know, and uh, I said, I'm, you know, uh, I'm armed, and uh, I said, you may be too, I don't know. <coughs> so off we went and landed, and it was about lunch, and so we went up for lunch. When I came back, the, uh, the uh, oh, Tubby Dills was the flight commander, and he was running around, and he walked past me and I, I went to talk to him and he said, don't talk to me now. He said, Burns and Co up there trying to kill each other. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I said to him, well, I said, Prob probably, you know, we're talking afterwards. And I said, it wouldn't, he said, probably the only perfect shot you should have had in your life if you had gone, you know, gone for him there. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, that was, uh, 
We had the 6.5s, of course, in the uh, Kitty Hawks and, uh, and the Corsairs. But uh, it was, uh, I think we had, well, Bunny the Moors was killed, Tira Cartney, and uh, I forgot somebody else was looking now, actually. Might, might have been only the two now, but uh, they, uh, and then uh, when we went up the islands, uh, uh, on the first tour, I had St. George, and uh, uh, this was commanding officer, and he was a real bloody martinet, you know. He was, a, and, and I can remember we had, and we had an RAF squadron leader, and he must have just uh, after after Ashworth, and uh, whether he was just over from Britain just to, uh, you know go back and report how things were But anyhow, he did the one tour with us, and uh, he was, uh, uh, he was, been on Lancaster and that, and he was a terrible bloody, terrible Corsair pilot, and uh, uh, we went, uh, we were at Bougainville, and we went down to this place, um, down the Shortland Islands, south of uh, there, and there was, St. George was the, leader of the four, and uh, was Ernie Body who was second, and then Ashworth third, and me fourth. And we went in and strafing all these barges and things, and uh, and I, of course, I, was, I thought, this is good fun, you know, but uh, and I always thought, well you, well, you make one attack and, and bugger off, you know, but uh, anyhow, when we pulled around a bit of a bit of a bloody hill and came back again. Of course, I was number four, and I all I could see was this bloody, all these puffs of anti-aircraft, you know, they were just waiting for us this time. And they were all around these aeroplanes in front of them, and I thought, Jesus, those buggers are going to get hit. And I looked out the side, and ooh, they were around. <laughs> I, anyhow, all the aircraft, we, we were all, all had, my, I lost my my aerial and well, electrics, and uh, all the aircraft were hit, and St. George was wounded. And he got the bloody DFC for it, you know. I'm sure he was only trying to show off to uh, Ashworth that was over there because, uh, and, yeah, when, and I didn't know my, I'd lost all the radio and everything, and and I was just in a loose formation coming home, and uh, anyhow, I didn't realise that St George had been, uh, and I was getting hand signals more or less, and being number four, I wasn't close to see if what had happened to St George or anything, and, I, and St George went straight in and landed where he normally always wanted a perfect formation over the thing there, but he, he landed and he, by the time I got in they carted him away to hospital. And uh, <clears throat> anyhow, when I saw all this, this you know, anti-aircraft fire around the aircraft, I, I called out, uh, called out, oh, it uh, ACAC at nine o'clock port, which was, uh, or, or, you know, was all round them, but the, I'd heard nine o'clock starboard, three o'clock starboard and everything, and it all came out, and St. George said, say again, and of course, anyhow, this, by that time, it's, and when he came out of hospital, and he came, to, came into the squadron there, back to the squadron about a week later, and he, uh, he said, what were you going on about, you know, up there, and I said, oh, I was just, 
I was just telling you that I could, you know, there was ACAC, uh, 9 o'clock uh, starboard or something. He said, well, all I could hear was, boo, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, uh, there's so much for my being, uh, mm. but uh, he, I'm sure he was just trying to show off to uh, get St. George mixed up in it, you know. Mm. Uh, St. George got the DFC for that. Hmm. Uh, I got a mention in dispatches, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it was. <laughs> and I reckon St George should have been hauled over the coals for myself. He could have got me killed. Funnily enough, uh, when I went to Japan afterwards, I had St George as the uh, commanding officer again. You know, he was always a a martinet. You know, he was. Well, no, it was sort of, there was black and white, or no, if you did something wrong, it, it was, um, you know, you were in the car. But now, funny enough, when in the squadron that uh, I went to with St. George, we had, he was always, uh, uh, you know, definitely wanted really close formations and everything, and uh, he, and we had all these blokes, I think I was about the only experienced Corsair pilot in the squadron, and uh, you had all these pathfinders and God knows what from over there, but they were, they didn't like close, from Britain half of them, and they didn't like this close formation, and uh, of course St. George was onto them all the time, you know, but uh, it was, it's Arnold Myers, one he's out of Papamau now, I think, and he was a pretty good sort, old Arnold. But they used to, St George would be, uh, you know, would really ream them out, and he'd, uh, and of course, uh, when we, when you weren't flying, you were given duties to do up there, and and when I was not, uh, I was in the control tower up there, to flying control. And uh, anyhow, the squadron took off there one day, and Sister Robertson, our nursing sister, was, and she was came up in the control tower to watch. And St. George was effing and blinding, you know, and screaming out at at, uh, at all these blokes. And I, I said, I said, oh, uh, you know, Oxide One, I think was. I said, Oxide One, there's a lady, uh, you know, Sister Robertson's in the tower. And it didn't make any difference. They carried on, and she, look, she said, "Isn't, isn't Squadron Leader St George a born leader of men?" And I, she, <laughs> she was, uh, uh, but he was, and uh, when, when we had our first tour up there, well, uh, old Doug St George was a CEO, and uh, he was. We were wondering. You know, we were going up on our second tour, and we were wondering who would replace him. And I'd gone through the OTU with a bloke that called Boyd Lapine, who was, uh, and he went through together with it. No, Boyd wasn't a very good pilot, but he was made the next, the next CO of uh, up there, and he was one that didn't like close formation. <laughs> And he used to tuck right in on him just to irritate him, and, uh, <laughs> and he'd signal your way. And, and of course, 
I got I started off on the wrong side of him because when we did our OTU, you know, you were all you had you were all sort of just pilots, and the rank didn't come into it. And uh, he was on to me one day about uh, you know. Uh, he said, I'm, uh, he said, it's uh, Flight Lieutenant Lepine here, because he's made a squadron leader up, but Flight Lieutenant. Um, I said, oh, well, it's Flight Sergeant Coe here, uh, you know, but he, uh, and, I, and I used to call him Boydie, which, and we would call him Boydie or Charlie Chaplin, because he used to walk Splayfoot and he had a little moustache, you know, and, or even Adolf, you know, like, and, we take the Mickey out of him, and then of course suddenly after that he was at the second tour. He was our CO. <laughs> oh boy! But at least uh, when he was the CO, you didn't you didn't get into much danger because uh, all that that stage things are getting a bit quiet up there. Mm. But uh, we were. But I, I can remember uh, seeing. One of our boys was on the first tour. We just left New Zealand, or about three weeks away, and up at um, Witwatersrand Canal. <coughs> and I was sitting outside the crew room, just watching the, you know, and you'd watch the aircraft take off. And of course, we were all clever buggers, and it, of course, it used to look lovely if it took off and and just raised your wheels. You know, and the aircraft bloody stupid, but uh, you know, and watching old Noel Harper and he had a 500 pound bomb, a practice bomb there, he was going out bombing. And he uh, he took off, and then next moment he he just sat down on the bomb and skidded along. And we were all, you know, at the crew room, we were laughing our bloody heads off. And the next moment we saw Noel just climbing out onto the wing, and then the bomb went up and blew, killed him, but. Uh, then we were, of course, we'd been told by the armament people that, uh, you know, that the the bomb wouldn't go off unless it was armed. And, and anyhow, they had to explain to us that, uh, tell us afterwards, there'd been a faulty case on that. And, but uh, they said that if, you know, of course, we, this is a question we'd asked. And for it took all about three or four days, we'd be over 20 feet before we were, then we're back to normal again. <laughs> Yes, it's, uh, but that was, uh, you know, that was, of course, the course here. I can remember one of the boys up there, um, George, I can't think of his name now, but we're fitting ro fitting rockets onto the, and he was sitting there with his, uh, and when you were, when they were fitting the rockets, the pilot had to, Pilot had to sit there with his, uh, you know, because they were electrically fired, and you, for safety's sake, the pilot would sit in there with uh, holding the plug up to point out that it was, you know everything was safe. How this time he had an armament man sitting in the cabin with him, and the bloody rocket went off, and, whoosh, and, and it, he, you know, and he, or old George collapsed off the wing, and he was, just, you know, just he. He buggered off. We 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 came up a little couple of hours later, and he was in the in the sergeant's mess, boozed it out of his head. But uh, yeah, that was a scaring thing. Where but, where did that happen? At Ardmore. Mm. Okay, so that that must have been 
uh, quite late in it in the piece because you never used the rockets up in the Pacific, did you? No, no, we didn't. No, this is. Um, uh, uh, I think was just training, you know, with the no, we never. We used uh, but uh, bloody so better to use than the bombs, you know, and uh, with the bombs you never knew what was going to where those were going to go. We, did you, did you ever have the rockets in uh, Japan? Yes, yeah, oh, right. had them there. Mm, yeah, okay. that, uh, that might have been where George. Um, that might have been where George was fitting them. Because I, I know he never used them back, and it must have been up there. Yeah. Right. Mm. Yes. But uh, yes, we used them up there. It was. A, a friend of mine went through, he got killed after the war and <coughs> flying uh, <coughs> chap Dave Leary and uh, he, after I left the Air Force a few months afterwards, Dave um, got, uh, took somebody from Ohaki in, in an Oxford over to, uh, uh, over to the Masterton I think, and on the way back he struck wretched weather and went into the hills and killed himself. At, uh, Dave was saying to me, you know, we'd we were we'd both done the instrument courses, and Dave said, "Oh, how did you get on the instrument? You know, did you get this?" He said, "I couldn't." He said, "I was disorientated, even with the." And I said, "Oh no, I never had any trouble, you know." And he obviously uh, got himself buggered up there, but uh, poor old Dave. <laughs> and uh, did did you have um? Uh, Dave Howlett in 17 Squadron? Howlett? Yeah. No, I can't remember that name. I'm just trying to remember. I think he was 17, but I'm not sure. No. no. I might be getting confused. No, it wasn't, uh, wasn't there when I was there anyhow. Right, right. No. That's right. Um, so what were the main targets that you were uh, flying to up in the Pacific? Uh, well, we'd go across the... You know, there'd be Japanese gardens and things, and uh, I'd go down and bomb them, and uh, we'd bomb the uh, bomb the aerodromes up at Rabaul, and uh, by the time you, you went back the following day, they were all filled in, and uh, they were, uh, uh, you know, so the Japs obviously used them at night. You know, we saw some in the distance once. There were some. Aircraft, uh, you know, in the distance that was daylight. Or I didn't see them, but some of the other boys, and they think they could have only been Japanese ones. And uh, but they, we very, and when we were at um, up at uh, Los Negros, uh, we were bought. They came across and bombed the uh, floating dock one night when there, but. Uh, and they sent one of our pilots up. He, I said, and he'd just joined the squadron. And they sent him up in the dark, you know. To, well, of course, it was about 20 minutes, but a quarter of an hour at least by the time he got airborne and uh, out there. And of course, the uh, uh, he he could it was Henry Eckersall, and uh, old Henry, uh, the aircraft had long gone. But we listened to Tokyo Rose the following day, and. It, According to Tokyo Rose, they'd gone in there and uh, they'd sunk the King George V, and they'd, they'd uh, sunk the uh, 
well, the floating dock, you know, and, and, and of course we thought this was this was as funny as hell listening to all this, but uh, but there were a couple of uh, two or three Americans were killed when they I think they jumped off the dock or something or other, but they uh, that was all that happened there. But w was it damaged the dock? No, no, they never never touched that. No, and uh, I, they never touched that, and uh, that's. They, they were, uh, but the Japanese, that was the only time, you know, poor old Henry Eckersall, he'd just left New Zealand, you know, <laughs> he was lucky to, have, you know, get himself back to, at night, well, to send him up, but I suppose after that we were, we were supposed to be there on duty the whole time, but they never, never kept you on duty overnight, they were, uh, but we were on scramble all day long. There, I remember having a very uh, narrow escape there once, with because you know had the inf IFF, the information friend of foe switch, and of course all the when before you went out there, there was a chap at the uh, end of the runway, and you'd have to switch it onto the right channel, which did. But nine times out of ten, the Americans coming over, coming into. Uh, up to uh, Negros to let that they were all uh, they'd all have the wrong channel on or most of them and, and that we would be sent up scrambled you know to go to intercept them and uh, that's the first time I, I saw a super fort was up there and and of course they uh, I was sent up to intercept this thing coming coming in over what they call them bandits because they didn't have the right channel on, and I uh, I saw this aircraft and uh, went across and I they called out and they said, well, well what is it? I said, oh, it's friendly. And they said, yes, but what airplane? I thought it's American, but I didn't know. You know, I thought, well, I'm not supposed to put over the radio. But they said, yes, but what makers? And I said, well, it's a super Ford. They said, well, give it a good going over, you know, because he's on the front. So I was charging all round him, you know, and. Playing Mary Hill, and he had his, uh, he let out his bloody uh, trailing aerial with a lump of lead on. And the next moment, this bloody thing just went past my windscreen. And Christ, I thought, I thought geez, you know, it never dawned on me that uh, that he was getting ready to come in and land. And he just, oh, well, and it, or, well, he must have had it out. He'd have to reel it in before he landed. But, uh, Christ, the bloody thing just went over my windscreen there, and that was a, you know, it was a bit of a narrow escape. Mm. But we used to bomb the, uh, go up there and bomb the gardens, and we'd do patrols around uh, Bougainville. That's, uh, you know, every day. Well, you, you, but of course the Japanese, you're wasting your time because they knew when they're here, and there was all this push. But one, when it got that way, one aircraft would go along low down to see, you know, see if we could see any Japanese there. And the other one would be up high and he'd pull up in the air and the other one would come down the straff and uh, that's whether, you did, whether we didn't need damage or not, I don't know. Mm. That's, uh, that was, but the Japanese, I think, they were around, you know, they were just shacked. They were in the jungle all around there and they, they were growing their own uh, you know, growing their own gardens and existing on that, I suppose. And, but we got they got something like, or 
I think once or twice they filled up, uh, you know, drums and went up to, uh, you know, went up where they, where they knew the gardens were, drums with diesel and petrol and everything, and dropped them there and try and destroy the gardens. And, but, uh, dropped from the courses? Yeah. Mm. But, uh, I, didn't, I don't know how successful it was, but once or twice they did this. And, and I can remember us going over 22 Squadron and 17, flying over to Revol with St George in charge, and there were 24 aircraft there. And uh, and I was I was next to uh, I was uh, Tom Raybone was who he got killed the vampire later on. But uh, Tom was a bloody clued up bloke, and and I was just formating loose formation on him. And we got there, and we were. St George, we were just uh, uh, we were in the first group there, and St George was going around. He had his map out, and he's looking down, and we all this bloody aeroplanes, you know, up at about eight or ten thousand feet, I suppose. And Tom Rayburn was signalling to me that the wrong place, but you're down till St George. This is just because we would go, we would fly from Bougainville over to Rabaul and back again. And he insisted on uh, radio silence all the way because, uh, uh, you know, he's. Um, so, of course, nobody was going to. And Tom, and when they landed, uh, when we dropped, went down and we dropped all these bombs and on this place. And we got back there and we, then we went in for intelligence briefing. And, and of course, Tom Rayburn said that was a wrong place. And uh, anyhow, we. We got in there, and the intelligence officer came out and said, "Oh, congratulate us on a, you know, a good, good job done." And said to St George, "Anyhow, the next moment a bloke came rushing in, and I got word from the coast watchers that it was the wrong place." So old St George just got up and stormed out of the, out of the room, you know, and uh, so they sent. Well, we had 22 airplanes over there in the morning. They sent two over in the afternoon to go back and bomb the right place. <laughs> but uh, used to get quite a bit of, uh, got a, a lot of uh, anti-aircraft fire around the ball when you were around town, especially got over one or two of the aerograms there. And, was, and <laughs> there was, uh, yes, if you, Vuna Canal, I think, was one where if you got near there, it was, and one of our pilots, I wasn't there, but one of our pilots had supposedly he put his undercarriage down and just landed on the on a strip and then ran along and then carried on. And the, somebody called out and said, "Oh, Dick, what you're up to?" He said, "Oh, just stretching my legs. Not bloody stupid, you know." <laughs> and that it was uh, that's where you know Brian Cox and. Uh, Keith, the chap Keith got shot down, and they lost all the, uh, the aircraft. But we were, uh, we were luck. Uh, we were back. Just we replaced that squadron after that. We that, that was on the second tour, and we went up to Green Island. And after that, they, uh, if you're over a bull, and the weather, uh, they would do sort of. Uh, on the way home, we'd have. Uh, one pilot would, or you'd have, go home in six-minute intervals, more or less, just 
because of the, uh, you know, to get back to a drone, but the, you had the, uh, you know, the radar would give you a homing back to a place that was always very good, but if you lost your radio, you're bloody hope, you know, in, uh, in dire straits. <laughs> But uh, yes, but I, I think Bogan, the first tour we did, I did, uh, we <coughs> was at, were at Bougainville and we're based, we fly off Torakina airstrip there and uh, the, uh, uh, this, uh, and we lived in a pilot's camp and geez, that was bloody marvellous, you were, uh, you went, you know, you were waited on by all the American Negroes, you know, and uh, you, we were getting fresh beef and from New Zealand, fresh New Zealand butter and ice cream and oh, living really good. And uh, that was uh, at the second tour we went to Green Isle and then we were on Aussie rations, well, not so good, but, uh, at the first tour we were, and I can remember they were once going up uh, we had to thousand-pound uh, bombs, and had to go up to uh, north of Bougainville, and I was number number four in the formation. And anyhow, I saw we had to bomb this area. Don't know what it was, but the Japanese area. And we, anyhow, I, I went. We all went down, and I looked down. I could see three bomb bursts, and I and I thought, well, I, you know, and I called out to number one. Uh, I said, oh, well, St. George, you know, I said, uh, could you see where my, I couldn't see my bomb burst. He said, no, you, you stupid idiot, you still got it on. <laughs> and, uh, I said, oh, so what do I do with it? He said, go down again. So I went down again, came back up and, uh, and uh, it could, because you couldn't tell underneath whether it was there or not. And, and uh, anyhow, got up there, that was it's still there. Well, you could you used to get hang-ups, you know, and uh, we could uh, we could you could jettison your uh, you know your your bomb rack, but we were short of bomb racks, and Olson George, uh, you know, would want you to go back and land with your bomb on, of course. Uh, and after watching Noel Harper blow up at Guadalcanal, we weren't too happy about this. And anyhow, I went down. What four times altogether, and the, the third time, of course, the bloody anti-aircraft fire was getting pretty lethal, and I wasn't, and I wasn't aiming or anything. All I was trying to do was get rid of the bomb, and then he, he told me to, uh, and I, and of course, the fourth time when I got back, he, they were milling around up high, and, and I joined up, and I said, it, it, I said it's still there, and he said yes. I said, what'll I do now? And he said, Take the bloody thing home, you know. So of course we. Off we went back to land at uh, Tarakina, and uh, anyhow, as we uh, and I was toggling around trying to get rid of it on the but it wouldn't, you know, and it was still there. And I joined up in formation to go, and I, I peeled off. And anyhow, when I landed, uh, and of course, they were all at the end of Tarakina, there was this Empress Augusta Bay, and had all these ships in there, and uh, Anyhow, I landed a, a taxi up and I said to the armament blokes, I said, you know, very touchy about landing with this thing. And when, when I taxied up, I said, oh, how's that bomb look? I said, 
Well, how would we know, you know? I said, well, isn't the bomb there? And they said, no. I said, Jesus, it must have come up as I peeled off, you know. And uh, so anyhow, I, I went into, and I said to St. George, well, that bomb was there when we, you know, when we joined up to come in. And, and he said, yes. And I said, well, it must have well come off as I peeled off. And, uh, and I said, it's gone in amongst all the bloody uh, ships in the harbour. He said, geez, we'd better wait and see what happens, hadn't we? <laughs> Never heard a word. So there's a bomb up, a bomb sitting up there <laughs> somewhere. But it's, uh, but you know, well, since, and this start, it, uh, we were still, because every, you know, there'd be hang-ups there to, or two or three times a week. And then one day the, the Americans, American control tower there, they spotted one of our aircraft coming in with a bomb on. And they, they all evacuated the tower and there was a, a big scream about this pilot would have to be, uh, you know, who was this pilot was coming in with a bomb on. And anyhow, St. George got told off and said we weren't to, we weren't to land with uh, a bomb on in future, so that after that we uh, we had to jettison them, which pleased us. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, but, but the rockets, when we start using them in Japan and everything, that, that was um, that far, you know, they were good to use. Mm. What was the um, the downtime? You know, Bougainville or Green Island. What what did you do for recreation and, and uh, Well, we'd be out and <coughs> we used to uh, every day there. You'd uh, after lunch you'd go down and uh, uh, play. You know, or, or go down to the beach, and uh, then uh, and during that or day you'd, you'd have these. You know cricket matches between, there's always two squadrons and they have cricket and softball and uh, play that, That's, you know, uh, that was all all quite, and, and when we were up at um, Los Negros we, uh, we played against the the Aussies, you know, and uh, well, we used to play a lot, that's right, a lot of, a lot of volleyball, yeah, and every day, every morning if you weren't flying there, Somebody come around and you'd play against. We thought we were pretty good until we came up against the uh, played the American Negro camp and they they, they thrashed us. But uh, we, I, you know, the volleyball was really uh, we really enjoyed that, <clears throat> and the cricket and softball, of course, that was all all good. And there was always two squadrons up there, so. And uh, and the, but the swimming in the afternoon, of course, no matter where you were up there, there was uh, areas. And Bougainville, of course, had a beautiful surf beach, and and they had uh, in the finish they had Aussie uh, uh, lifeguards there, because they you had the palliast covers, you know that uh, the and the, a lot of these Americans they'd never seen water except lakes and that, and yeah, You'd get this palliast cover wet and run around, fill it up with air, you know, and you had a, like, water wings. And the next moment they'd get out and surf, and the next moment they'd be about 300 yards out to sea, and the, and the Aussie lifeguards would have to go and drag them in. And, you know, so. <laughs> 
But uh, we did, you know, that's one or two of the blokes that <coughs> weren't at all, you know, athletic-minded or would sports would just lie in the tents and read, but uh, most of us were, or you'd be pretty well ordered out into the, uh, to go and, you know, join in the, uh, thing and, which was enjoyable too. Yeah. Uh, were there little boats or yachts or anything? Did you uh, some of the chaps, um, uh, especially up at uh, Los Negros, they had the, uh, what do you call it, the drop tanks, you know, and they cut the top off them and some of them would turn them into uh, you know, little yachts and things and uh, I went out with one, oh, one bloke one day and you know, it was quite good. Uh, lost Negroes. But they used to, uh, I can remember seeing a Catalina do a water loop there once in the distance, yeah. And uh, it was behind the uh, floating dock and I, I was, was like watching something, you know, it, from here to the mouth entrance, I could see this Catalina land, and suddenly all I could see was water everywhere. And uh, next minute, a great big wing come over, and just all I could see. And then the next moment, I could see this Catalina floating backwards. Because mm. <laughs> I had uh, uh, oh, an acquaintance went through Johnny Shrubsall, who uh, was a very good, very good tennis player. And he was a, he was a hopeless bloody pilot, and uh, he put a Catalina in, uh, you know, up on Fiji way somewhere. And then, and all the uh, a friend of mine, Joe Mace, uh, he was. Uh, they had some, um, uh, you know, parliamentarians there, right, low, and Joe. They were all sitting out on the wing. And Joe Mace swam ashore with these blokes, uh, and when they came back, all the uh, all the rest of the crew, the people were sitting, had been asphyxiated with the petrol fumes, you know. Hmm. And uh, Johnny Shrubsall was uh, uh, nobody liked flying with him, you know. He was a wonderful tennis player, but he couldn't fly aeroplanes. That <laughs> uh, yes, that was unfortunate. Yeah. So, what was it like up in Japan? Oh, it's really good there. Yes, it's because uh, we uh, we were based at Bofu down near Hiroshima, and uh, we used to oh, do you know patrols every day, and you're patrolling around. Because uh, <coughs> there's lots, of, quite a lot of uh, smuggling going on between Korea and Japan. And it, we'd go out and uh, you'd see some of these fishing boats. Well, you had a, a thing of the colour of the day that they were supposed to pull up their flags, you know, because you couldn't contact them by radio at all. And we would and go out there and you'd see the fishing boat and it'd go down and fly around it. And, and the next minute there'd be flags go up. So you'd, you'd look at the details try to see and while you're looking and circling, they must have panicked, and the next thing the bloody flags would go down and another flags go up. So uh, we would just report it back to the uh, coastal people that never heard any results or anything of what happened, but uh, that 
but they, you know, the old fishermen there, because if you circled them, circled them once and went off, everything was all right. But if you went around them two or three times, they'd be, they'd be worried. And, and Japan was, uh, oh, I loved it up there because you had, uh, you know, had room girls to look after you, you know, and they, because uh, uh, I used, to, I used to say, well, what do I do with? Um, what do I do, you know, when you get getting, they said, oh, just just ignore them. And so I was there one morning and my, my little uh, room girl, Katiko, she was uh, glasses about this thick and everything. And she, anyhow, she was running around to do it because they'd bring her in a cup of tea in the morning and uh, and put put fresh clothes out for you. Beautiful, all your clothes are beautifully ironed and starched and everything. and. Uh, then, of course, I got out of bed and I had to so start to get dressed. And, uh, and of course, I was, um, I had my shirt on, the singlet, and, and, uh, and then I put my shoes and socks on and I put my hat on. And I thought, oh, oh well, tell that off, off come from my pyjamas and, and oh, underpants as you and went to take this off and she whoosh, she's out out the door like a rocket, you know, and uh, she'd go, so after that you just just ignored her, you know, and uh, I then went to, uh, well, we went to Iwakani and Iwakuni, and I had an old mama-san there, an old mama-san there, she, she was <laughs> different altogether. Of course, we, uh, we were, uh, we were there uh, just, uh, uh, Dave Leary and myself in the same room, and. And I was, I just went to get undressed and she was ironing away and she'd yak away on that, that. And the next minute she'd, and I got my clothes off, so she put the iron down and came rushing across. <laughs> Davey son. <laughs> then she'd go out to the corridor and scream out to her mates in Japanese and uh, her roars of laughter from all the girls, you know. <laughs> oh, Mama son. She's a hell of a good old sort. She used to bring. Eggs, eggs were at a premium, and or, for oranges, and she used to bring these in. Mind you, we'd give her chocolate and everything, and she was doing all right out of it. <laughs> she was, but uh, I enjoyed it there, you know. And uh, we had, I can remember, uh, there was a chap, they, the army, they, uh, we was, uh, they sent us in a, a group of army blokes, and they were to there, because. Uh, our flying gear was down at the, uh, and these, and these blokes supposedly came in to uh, protect our flying gear when we had, because we had our those revolvers and things like that. We never lost a thing until they came and started, to, you know, uh, to look after us. But uh, I can remember George Roberts. He was a league player in Auckland. Uh, he was built like a, you know, built like a tank. And Dave and I, we'd, we'd, in the afternoon, we'd have our silk dressing gown, we'd go and have a shower and everything, and then come back and sit down, you know, and just relax for a while, because it was pretty hot, and relax before we went in, had a few drinks before uh, tea, and of course, we were sitting, and Dave, George used to come in, and he'd, he was, uh, and he'd come in and pick us up and rough us, rough us up, you know, and knock us up. And, You'd have to go and have another bloody shower by the time. So we figured out, well, we'd, and next time he came in, we'd both grab him 
and uh, you know, uh, put, and, and sort of teach him a lesson. <laughs> and so when he came in, and, and I had him, uh, I had his legs, and Dave had him up by the arms, and, uh, and putting a fist into his ribs, you know, and, and old John, oh, and he's screaming out, and of course he. He could speak Japanese very well, and he screamed out in Japanese to Mama's. And Mama's aunt came over, and she, Davy's son, a big Davy's son, little Davy's son. I was little Davy's son. Dave was big, and said, "Put Georgie down." And of course, her, uh, so the next minute she reached under and she's got a spot <laughs> by the bruise, each one, you know, and said, "Put Georgie down." And oh, old George got up. And let that be a lesson to you, pricks. <laughs> Off he went, you know. <laughs> Old Mama she rushed back and carried on with the riding and yelling out to all the girls in the car. <laughs> she was a character. <laughs> so you were up there on the second uh, lot, weren't you? you? Second or third lot, I've forgotten. So how did you get up there? Did you fly up? Uh, yes, went up by uh, by. DC-3, uh, we went from, uh, interesting, I'm just thinking when we went up on our first tour in the Pacific, uh, we we flew uh, flew up in a, uh, a Lodestar, I think, and you just uh, had just lying on your, um, you know, you had your packs in the back and there was a whole lot of bloody thing overloaded to hell and on. And we went from there to Norfolk up to, um, or Santos for a start. But, but when we went to Japan, we actually flew from, uh, uh, we had all, Theo Delange came up too that time. It was, and I think he wanted to, he was going up on a lurk, you know, I think he wanted to, he was only a passenger too, although he was. And we went from, uh, flew to Norfolk, then up to Brisbane. And uh, or landed, then we went to Cloncurry, I think, which was a bloody arsehole of the world, I thought. But, uh, it, but we spent uh, spent about four or five days at Brisbane, and from there we went up to for uh, went to Cloncurry to Darwin, and I think where did we go there. We just uh, can't remember. After we flew, or we landed, that's right, we, we landed in Philippi Clark Field in the Philippines and we spent a few days there and from there up to, uh, up to, up to Japan mm. and uh, we were down there at Bofu near Iwakuni at, uh, and we were there for oh, some time, you know, uh, and then when we stopped flying we were shifted up to uh, uh, oh, where do we go? Oh, Bofu. We went up to Iwakuni, that's right. And, and we were there for two, three months for just more or less doing nothing but uh, mm, until we came home. But, but, uh, but Japan was, you know, I enjoyed Japan because the weight is on hand and foot, of course, by these girls. And, and the, you know, I used to, when I got up, Going up there, I used to think, well, Jesus, a bloke will have to be careful if you go out at night with the Japs and everything, but they were, they were, you know, servile as they were, the Japanese wouldn't, never did anything wrong. Uh, one of our chaps, uh, 
had had his revolver stolen, and the uh, uh, you could get if you like to you know sell handguns up there. You could get get thousands you know a lot of thousands of yen for them. And uh, but he had his stolen. But if you're caught selling any um, service gear, you're in bloody big trouble, of course. But but he had even a year afterwards they had the. Uh, of, you know, CIA or FBI or something or other, coming down and interviewing Rich Henderson, who had lost his uh, gun uh, about it back in New Zealand. You know, they were still trying to trace this bloody gun a year afterwards. But they were really, uh, you know, because the Japan, some of the Japanese, Japanese mafia, which is, I suppose they spend a fortune on getting handguns. And, mm. but, uh, do you remember when the aircraft were all burned? Yes, yes, I was, uh, I was there, at, there at the time, and uh, actually we were, we'd stopped, we'd stopped flying, and uh, there was to be no more flying. The aircraft were uh, on the on the ground at Bofu there, and of course the the ground staff were taken down to the airstrip every day. Uh, by trucks, which was a, it was a, you know, a few miles away from our quarters, and they'd be taken down. And of course, they were sitting around with nothing to do. And of course, then they uh, they were picking, and the, then they got the message that the aircraft would be destroyed. And the blokes were down there, and they had the tomahawks and things, and they were, you know, aiming at the rondels on the aeroplane and. Uh, Anyhow, St. George came down and saw that these aircraft were getting, and of course everybody was confined to camp. Who were the? Well, there was all hell to pay about this, because uh, you know the blokes and uh, and he, St. George, wanted the blokes, you know, to own up, and so the whole camp there owned up to it because, uh, but they weren't, you know, even though they were going to be destroyed. And then, of course, they were bulldozed up into a, a heap and burnt, you know, which was because they were not to be, they weren't to be retained, returned to America, and they weren't to be, they were just to be destroyed. Bloody shame. <laughs> and, you know, those aircraft had they'd done bugger all flying hours. Yeah. Did you ever have any. Um Nose art or nicknames on your aircraft? Oh yes, yes. There was uh, one. One was Tutai Wira, was shit hot, you know, and that was a great big thing. And I used to used to formate on this and Tutai. And uh, there was another one, or oh, a girl's name, something or other. Quite a few of them. They had, uh, had the ground staff. I think had you know painted painted on them and. Uh, but Tutawira was the one I could, because it was there and, and a great big scroll was on the aeroplane. And, <laughs> and, uh, and a few of them had, you know, Mickey Mouses and things on them. They were copying the Americans, of course. But, uh, but, uh, and of course, the, the Kitty Hawks, they used, always had that shark type of thing. They'd paint, make it look like a shark's mouth. But, uh, but uh, the bloke that I had a lot of time for uh, 
There's this Tom Rayburn that got killed in a vampire, and uh, he was he would have gone a long way, I think, in the Air Force if uh, if he hadn't been killed. I never never thought that Tom would ever make a mistake, but he went in on the you know, you know the vampires doing a uh, gunnery runs on the range that uh, he squashed in apparently. Mm -hmm. oh, poor old. Poor old Tom, a real clued up bloke. What, what were you doing between the end of the war and and then going to Japan? What, what? Uh, well, I uh, I went and grew some strawberries, you know, for a year or so, then went back into the Air Force. And I was going up, I think, with the second group, and my mother became ill, so I, uh, they said, well, we'll, f you know, put you off and go the following year. So I, I played around on the strawberry beds and the following year they called me up and went up there with a third group. Mm. And then once you finished in Japan, did you decide to stay in? Yeah, well, I came back and uh, we were based at uh, Ahakia and uh, you know, went on to the mosquitoes and we were, uh, for, for a start there I was on flying Oxfords, and a chap, Colin Hansen, who was a navigator, and I uh, forgot my name of the chap, was a, we did all the pho photography all around New Zealand. You had these, um, uh, you had to do these, what? We had to do all the ports in, in New Zealand, you know, all the naval bases, which in a, incidentally, there's one at one at Wahuru, you know, <laughs> and we had to take these photographs at um, was it three hundred feet, three hundred, three thousand, three hundred feet, six thousand, six thousand, then then something at twelve thousand. We had to do all these. We had to do the naval base in Auckland. Of course, I thought that was great. We did the naval base, did all that, and then went down and just flying, low flying all around the. Uh, the harbour waving at the ferries and that, you know, thinking this was great fun. And then we did the same in Wellington. And of course, the next thing, the air department was ringing up, who's this mad bloody pilot? Of course, they, they thought it was just some pilot had gone berserk. And, and uh, but we were, was all official. And then we had to do the, uh, the tobacco fields at, uh, uh, down at Nelson, the Cawthron, for the Cawthron Institute. And, and uh, yes, the catchment areas, and oh, it was a you know, good, good job just flying around and of course staying at hotels and everything. Of course, uh, yeah, so we enjoyed it. But uh, when I was there, uh, I, uh, I was uh, when I was in the Air Force, uh, they offered me a year's extension when, and uh, I thought, oh. I'll and anyhow, I uh, I applied for the RAF, and but they had they said, well, you, you apply at the end of the year, and if you come over, we'll uh, you know and pass our medicals, we'll uh, we'll we'll fit you in. And uh, of course, then I went top dressing, of course. But in the meantime, I when I was the Air Force, I was in Wellington, and I went to see the because uh, I got to know. Uh, Few American pilots up in uh, Japan, and they said, "Oh, well, you know, why don't you, why don't you apply for the 
American Air Force, you know, you get, get because they were earning bloody great money, and, and uh, so I happened to be down there, and I went to the American, you know, embassy, and saw it, and I said, well, I was, I told them, you know, I'd like to become a, they said, oh, I would take you, uh, you know, it would take you, uh, New Zealand would be uh, so many years before you could become a, uh, you know, citizen over there or something or other than that. Uh, then when I explained that I'd been born in Britain, well, they said that was all right. It would only take a, by the time, you know, it'd get, get in pretty quickly, being born. Uh, but then they said, but unfortunately, it, to be a pilot in the uh, American Air Force, you had to be a, an officer. And to be, off, to be an officer, you have to be a, uh, an American citizen. And they said, that'll take, uh, that'll take a whole year of living in America or something or other. To be, and you'd have to be, uh, and you wouldn't be allowed to work. So it, 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 the whole thing was, uh, you know, you were, you were shafted, you couldn't do anything. So uh, that took care of that. But I was, you know, I was quite keen on, I wasn't quite keen to carry on in the Air Force. And then when, but when they offered me just a year's extent, although I knew, had a friend, Curly Clark, that, and he was in there for about another 10 years, I suppose, still on a year's extension. But uh, they gave them, you know, year, and everybody was fooling around trying to get permanent commissions in those days, and but, uh, they weren't happy, you know, you had to be really in the know to get, get that. And, uh, because I went up for interviews or for commissions, oh, about four or five times altogether, I suppose. But funnily enough, I went. Oh, that's during the war. Our OTU, we were, um, Bill Heslop, uh, uh, oh, can't think of his name now. But three of us went up. We were recommended for commissions after our OTU. I got up there and. All I was told that I needed a haircut, and nobody, we didn't, we didn't get commissioned. But then after the war, the, uh, I went up uh, a number of times. Ernie Gartrell sent me up, uh, and when I went up, each time the secretary in charge of things was Squadron Leader Lapine, who was my ex-CO, and these chaps talked to me, and they say, "Well, uh, who, you know, who have?" Uh, which squadrons are there to get them? And said, which squadron leaders have you worked under? And I said, Vanderpump, uh, uh, St. George, uh, you know, and, and I said, squadron leader Lapine. No, we all looked over to him and he was sitting there just taking notes. He was, and uh, so it was pretty obvious that, uh, you know, with him being there all the time that I wasn't, I wasn't his cup of tea. <laughs> I never got commissioned, but I wasn't that fussy about getting a commission. But uh, to stay in the air force, that uh, was necessary to you know to get it really. So, <laughs> old Boydie, and that he was he was all right, but he was uh, he wasn't a good pilot, and he was. Uh, and of course, the fact that I went through the OTU with him, and I used to take the Mickey out of him, didn't help. Him. <laughs> Tell me about the um, the mosquito. 
Yes, that's a uh, mosquito. I had a very good aeroplane, you know, and uh, it was good. And of course, it was good that you had a navigator with you to uh, sort of, uh, so you didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, what's, where you're going. A navigator, you put your, put your thing in, you know, with him. And, and I can remember being, doing it, a navigational trip down to the Chathams, and we were about three quarters of the way down. Of course, those days they didn't have a drone on. Uh, yeah. But the aeroplanes start to fill up with smoke, and uh, you know, just well, just smoke and burning smell. So, Christ, so promptly, you know, didn't think much of this, and looked down on these bloody waves everywhere, and uh, so turned round and. Colin Hansen was the navigator, and Colin, uh, he turned off the electrics, and that stopped, and the smoke cleared. So we thought, well, it's just a, you know, it's a, but we're still not very happy, and he we're heading back, and we'd figured out that that um, Gisborne would be the closest uh, place to land at at the time. But then, anyhow, when we, uh, we put the uh, turned the radio on. And and the smoke came on again, but it, we relayed that thing that we were having this having a small problem, and we'd be heading back to land at Gisborne. They wouldn't hear from us again because of a lick, and we switched off. But as we got closer, I said to Colin, "Well, we haven't got any bloody overnight gear." Then, so he, we, I said, "I said, if, you know, it seems all right. We'll go straight back to Ahakia." And so he called up. Ahakia and said, well, we were going to bypass Gisborne and we'd come to Ahakia and land there, but they wouldn't hear from us in the meantime. So we came in and we got a green light from way back and just, and the bloody, there was ambulances and, you know, bloody trucks and, you know, all the crash gear all around the place, <laughs> but uh, there was no, no real problem, you know. That was, but it wasn't a nice feeling for a start out there. Mm. We did a trip uh, once uh, with Bill Annand, Bill Annand and uh, Ted Arundel and myself. We took three aircraft up to, uh, three mosquitoes flew up to, to Fiji, up to Nan, and we couldn't land over at Lothala. We landed at um, Nandi and, uh, and we did a trip over to uh, Tonga, and they had the uh, Queen Salotti wasn't there, but she, her son, he was a prince something or other, and and of course we they put on a bloody great gala for us, and all the all the air MPs and everything are out, and the, the the old prince came along, and he was about twenty stone, a huge man, you know, and of course and the mosquito you had the ladder to get into the uh, Thing there, and anyhow, it was a, and it was a, uh, it wasn't a sealed drone in those days, just a, you know, paddock drone, and uh, and of course um, he was there, uh, and of course he was interested in it, and he started, he was trying to walk up to look, and was, and every time he put his foot on the ladder, it would go into the ground, and of course, but Bill Annan said to me, oh, take him for a world, Dave, eh? you know, and. Uh, so I, I said, all right. Well, I thought, Jesus Christ, how he's going to fit in there with him? You know, he's so big. And uh, but anyhow, 
these MPs, they came, oh, they didn't want him going up with a hairy ass bloody <laughs> pilot, you know, and uh, he was a very important man, so uh, we didn't get up there with him. And uh, <laughs> yes, that, that, that was quite a, quite a trip, you know, because we went, the mosquitoes, we flew all around, <coughs> at, you know, Fiji and Tonga and everything, and I think, I don't know what the idea was, to show the flag or something or other, but uh, we had oh, two or three weeks, you know, good travelling around there. We couldn't, and that's the only time I've ever been in a Catalina, I think, and because we couldn't, uh, we couldn't take the mosquitoes over to uh, Suva, we just had to leave it. And we went over there and spent a few days at uh, Suva, but the Catalina came up and thought, we went through heavy rain squall, and the bloody and he was the navigator with a bloody umbrella up inside the Catalina, you know, over his maps, and we were all trying to crowd underneath us because it was cold as hell. The water just absolutely flowed in everywhere, you know, and, and the, the bloody noise. And when it landed, it was like land, landing a, an aircraft on the bloody concrete ground, with you know, and then they had the constant speed unit going to keep all electric and well, I thought, well what a bloody arsehole of an aeroplane. I didn't like that. Yes, that's it. But we had a good it was a good trip over there. And then we when we came back or when we flew up there we we landed at Norfolk and uh, refueled and everything and carried on. But on the way back we uh, we came to we had a must have had a following wind I think and we we came all the way back to Ahaki without refueling and uh, we had to, at the time that was the record, you know, for flying, of, but uh, it didn't last that long of course, but uh, we'd flown back in the sh shortest time of it, anybody. Hmm. That's, uh, <laughs> Did you have the aircraft loaded up with duty-free stuff on the way back? Uh, I don't, don't think it bothered, no. <coughs> no, don't. Oh, I did during the war when we came back. You know, at the end of the war, we had all the uh, in the mosquito in the corsairs when we brought them back. Had all the, the gun bays, you know, and everything full of um, camels and you know all. To of course, my mother was a heavy smoker. I didn't smoke, and, and my in-laws were they were, or you know, they were heavy smokers and brought. You could buy a carton for half a crown, I think. And, we, I know when we went up there, the first first tour up there, the, you could, uh, uh, if you wanted a coconut, you'd get the Fijian boys up, and they'd climb up there and they'd turf the coconuts down for you, for, uh, down to, you know, and, <coughs> for a cigarette. By the time the second tour was on, they, it was a, 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 they were wanting a carton of cigarettes to go up there and do the same thing. So. So Robbie Patterson, he had a jeep there, and he said, oh, hell, well, that will shake them down. He went charging at the, the jeep, you know, charging at the coconut tree to shake them off. And they wouldn't come off, and then he was saying, oh. And the next minute one came off and came down, bled near broke his leg. <laughs> so that, that took care of that. <laughs> yeah. But the mosquito, I, I enjoyed the mosquito. It was a nice aircraft to, to fly. And, Typical of you know the Pommy uh, airplane. Before you got in there, before you got it, you had to you know, get underneath the motor and undo a 
a break with a, just a little uh, or a little cap on. So it must have been was something or other too. But and, and it was on a little chain, and you put that chain to one side. But every time you did this, you get covered in bloody oil, you know. And uh, the you had the uh, what's the what were the motors? Uh? Melons. Hmm. Melon. Yeah, and the Aussies had the um, uh, the Aussie. We had the jewels, were the and they had the uh, uh, the packer. And uh, they were a lot cleaner. But everybody seemed to think that, of course, the Merlin had the, the name, you know, and everything. But, uh, but the uh, the Packard ones were a lot cleaner. And I think, you know, I used to think, well, I've got to go along with everybody and say the Merlins are the best. But uh, but I think the Packards are the uh, were the ones that were really the best. And they were. They were in the jewels, I think, and uh, the jewels that they were faster than the, uh, you know, the ones that we had the Merlins in. But they were, I, I did, uh, or oh, I did a couple of. I used to like aerobatics, you know, and, the, and I, I did a, I think I did a, a loop and a, and a barrel roll or something or other in the uh, mosquito, but it's all. Uh, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> it didn't, didn't feel comfortable in them. And, uh, and uh, when we were, we had to do these, um, that's right, rocket attacks. We'd taken rockets on just off the uh, off the shore at, uh, on this island up at uh, uh, Fiji, you know, and we were, uh, Roger Catamole was my navigator, and uh, we were heading down you know, and to do this run, and he would call out the, uh, uh, he would call out the your heights, and you, you used to fire at oh, thousand, three thousand or thousand feet. I can't remember now, but uh, anyhow, we were heading down to this target just off the, and the next minute there was this terrific bang, and the Christ, Roger, and there was air everywhere, and didn't know what had happened. But I just thought, well, Jesus, and just eased back on the stick and said, Roger, what's happened? And looked up and we've got a canopy above there that's put in under pressure. And this thing had uh, sprung, you know. It, it's obvious, it was the idea apparently with this is that if you did it, if you um, survived a water landing, you could get out the top of the uh, canopy there, you know, and. Uh, this thing had blown off, and so anyhow we said to Roger, "Well, this will be good. You know, we'll be uh, we'll be on the beach, you know, sunbathing for the for two or three days or a week or two." And and anyhow we called up and said, "Told what had happened." Came back and landed, and bugger me, by the following morning they had one up from a Harkia for us, uh, and then you know <laughs> so we didn't get our time off, but. Uh, Oh, we were made a great fuss of around the place, you know, and uh, but of course there were crowds that come out to see these mosquitoes. And, and <laughs> yeah, well, I've read that um, there were exercises between the mosquitoes and 
the Mustangs of the Territorial Squadrons. Did you ever get involved with that? No, I didn't, no. Uh, uh, they had, uh, I know Rob Dahlberg, uh, who's, he was, at these, the Territorial Squadrons, of course, were flying that. Uh, they weren't, from what I can make out, you know, they were, they weren't in good, they weren't, you know, they weren't very confident with pilots. And yeah. I think Rod was saying how he chased around, you know, chasing, they were, I heard some of the blokes from Ahakius, I left the Air Force then and uh, I said these mosquitoes were all over these Mustangs, but uh, I was, I would have thought that the, you know if it, if that had competent good pilots, it might have been a different kettle of fish. Right. I've never flown a Mustang, but uh, Dave Phillips, who he flies the Meteor, you know, and everything. David, uh, he was telling me that was, he said they were pretty heavy on the controls, according to him. But uh, I know when when we were. Uh, uh, Flying up in Japan, you know, because I was saying to uh, Brian Cox one day, "Oh, these, you know, these, um, uh, you know, Mustangs." Just I said we'd be dogfighting with them, but they'd only they'd stick their nose down and and leave you behind. He, well, he said, "Oh no, of course they would keep up," but I didn't think so. And uh, he said, "Of course, in the course here you had water injection too, but." Uh, I, to my knowledge, in the squadron, I was the only one that ever used water injection, cause, and that was because the ground staff told me to. They said the motor was coming out, and uh, I think it gave you a couple of extra 200 horsepower or something or other. And uh, and I can't, you know, I can't remember if there was any great difference to my what it would have been, I suppose. But uh, they, uh, we never. We never used them. Used it. Well, Brian was saying, "Oh, he used," but, but they didn't because as soon as you use water injection, they'd, they'd want to look at the motor afterwards. You know, they, uh, mm. and they were. Uh, but, uh, but the mosquito was, uh, I think, would be ten or twenty knots faster than mm. the Corsair. Mm. But what about the? Um the, the squadron, 75 squadron, what was the uh, atmosphere like? Was it a, a happy squadron? And oh yes, yeah, we were all uh, down to hockey there. We had, there was a good crowd. There was Ernie Gartrell, or well, first of all, it was Mac Bajant was in charge of us. And uh, uh, and that was, you know, uh, that was good. He was a good sort. And then we had Ernie Gartrell, who was a bloody good sort. And But funnily enough, when... Nelson Bright was Nelson Bright and Bill Allen were the flight commanders and both both very likable blokes. But Nelson had to check Ernie Gart because Ernie Gart had been a prisoner of war, you know, and uh, and came back and uh, was in the air department. That and Nelson said it was embarrassing. He said because he had a, he said if it had been any normal puke that he was checking, you know, checking out. He would have been grounded, but he said it was embarrassing to have a CO there, and uh, you know, and, and he only was was right out of flying practice and wasn't very and wasn't very competent pilot really. But he he was a hell of a good sort. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but the, uh, 
but you know the the feeling in the squadron we were all all very good. And, uh, previous to that, uh, we had 14 squadron where you were being got your multi-engine conversion thing. We had Tinny Constance there, was the commanding officer, and he was uh, things were a bit awkward. He sort of uh, he was a bit. I got in the cart there because one day he came. There was Reg Henderson and everybody and. and uh, Reg, and I, of course, you just, you know, you didn't, and he came in and I said, oh, uh, Reg Henderson came in, I said, oh, well, how much for your shoes, Reg, and he's telling me, and Constance was there, and he said, uh, who were you asking about the shoes? And I, I knew what he was getting at, you know, it's, uh, I said, oh, I was asking Reg, you know, he said, uh, Reg, who's Reg? I said, oh, Reg here, you know, and he said, flying officer Henderson? I said, yes, Reg Henderson, and he was, you know, it was bloody embarrassing. All the other boys were shuffling around, you know, they were, knew what he was getting at them. And afterwards he said, oh, you mean uh, uh, Flying Officer Henderson, sir? And I said, yes, that's right. So, and then uh, another time I, I, I read, it, read it in the paper where this, over in Britain, where some army, army man had got himself into deep strife, and he, he didn't believe in the saluting. And of course, so he had it there where he would come in, and he had say to the men, ping, and they would say, pong. And of course, this, and of course, this, I was telling the folks, and this was, you know, they, everybody thought this was a good joke. And then one day, uh, one day somebody came in and said, ping, and I said, pong, you know, and uh, Constance was there, and he, he reamed me out for, you know, denigrating the bloody uh, services and all this sort of thing, but he was, uh, funny, he didn't like me much at all. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but I know this time when, they, but we were all, you know, we were all, uh, all the blokes got on well, but, and Nelson, Nelson Bright and Bill Annan, uh, they were a couple of really good, you know, commanding officers, and not commanders, flight commanders, and, and everybody was, um, you know, mates more or less. Right. Well, I believe uh, you were one of the ones that um, sank the ship in Cook Strait. Oh yes. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, that was we went down there with uh, with rockets, I think. Yeah, and uh, I can't remember. I think I think we seemed to we most of us seemed to miss the bloody thing. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, but eventually. And Nelson was in charge and say, for God's sake, you know, somebody hit that bloody thing because, of course, they had bloody movie tone news and everything on, you know. And, uh, but I don't know, I can't vaguely remember that. Yeah, and there was, who was, three, there was, Bob Scott was doing the photography and they had the photography. There was Nelson Bright, myself, I can't think of who the other pilot was. I think uh, Bill Annand was one of them. Hmm? I think Bill Annand was one of them. Was he? Yeah. Mm. Uh, and one of the navigators I've interviewed... Um, Sonny Gaspar? Yes, yeah, Sonny. Oh, yeah, a Fijian boy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was an nice bloke. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Sonny. Yeah. Well, like the other... Mm. Yeah, so that must have been uh, <coughs> quite good to actually 
fire your rockets at something real yeah. rather than just yeah. a target. That's right, yes. Got yourself on the news, you know. And, and I remember there, I was gawping up, formating on, uh, I think, at Nelson and, and going down there, and then the, uh, and then Bob Scott was alongside with the photographer, and of course the next moment I was, I was busy trying to get my face in the, uh, in the picture, and next minute old Bob was saying, for Christ's sake, get back into formation. <laughs> so I, look, I drifted right away from the other blokes. And, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> what about uh, display flying? Did you do any air show type stuff? Uh, oh, that's right. I Yes, it was Roger Catamol and myself, but, <clears throat> but we had this, um, uh, there was this air display at uh, Ahakia, and we were, uh, they had the, that was the last time the, what, what do you call it, the jet, the first jet we had here? Uh, the Meteor. Meteor, yes, and it it, it was um, flying, and it, it did one trip, up and it, it didn't come back at land, it went up to Hobsonville from there where it, but the CO well, uh, of the station there at the time, he, He'd taken it up and he'd sprung the rivets on the bloody thing, you know, doing so. And uh, it, of course, couldn't go. It was limited to what speed it could fly. So, it, so Roger and I were left for the last, and we were to do a high-speed uh, flight, you know, over there, uh, a low-level flight, which we thought, you know, that was bloody good. We thought this, was, and we were circling around up there, and then there was old George, George Washington. And he he was flying the Miles Aerovan, and of course it was quite a strong wind blowing down there. And this bloody Miles Aerovan was uh, they it was to do a slow slow run. Well, old George got on the point of stall there in the wind, and and we were waiting up there for him to get out of the way where we do our high speed run. And in the finish, they had to they had to tell George to bugger off because he, he you know, he was the wind blowing. He wasn't, and then we did our low level, and, and I, I don't know what speed I was doing. It was the fastest I'd ever done in a mosquito, anyhow. And I, I was having trouble, even stopping it, you know, and and, uh, and of course Roger was saying, Jesus, look at it. That's the fastest. He said, fastest I've ever been in a mosquito. I said, me too, and we were. And Roger saying, Jesus, they'll talk about this when we land. All they could talk about was old Miles and his aeroban. And uh, <laughs> but that's, uh, we did that display there. And I've done a few displays with top dressing aircraft, you know, which is just taking off and uh, dropping a load of suit. Of her. But uh, other than that, I never did. Uh, Oh, I never did any uh, <coughs> low-level aerobatics or anything. That uh, it was always blokes better than me to do that sort of stuff. <laughs> that, uh, so tell me about uh, getting into the top dressing then. Yeah, well, that's uh, I saw Ron Graham up at because uh, at the time we were top dressing. Top dressing had just started, and we'd all everybody we used to discuss. It was a bloody road to nowhere, you know. Top dressing, you won't, you, you won't, you won't survive there. And uh, I was up at Wangamata at Christmas, and I saw this aircraft top dressing. So I thought, you know, 
was uh, went into saying it was Ron Graham who had air spread. He was the instructor here, and he, he uh, and I went in there to uh, to watch him. It was off Otto Bajering's airstrip up at Waihe, and uh, and I stopped and I was talking to the bloke, uh, his loader driver, and and I said, oh, but tell. Uh, you know, I said, who's the pilot there? And he said, Ron Graham. I said, I'll tell him that, you know, I'm a pilot and I'm still, <clears throat> you know, uh, I'm still in the Air Force and I'll be leaving shortly, you know. And so he stopped and talked to me and he said, would you be interested in doctoring? And I said, oh, I could be. And he quoted what was pe what we got paid. It was, <clears throat> I think, 15 was it uh, fifteen pound, fifteen pound a week, and uh, was it seven and oh, seven and six uh, or fifteen shillings an hour or something or other like this? And I thought, well, this, Christ! I thought, well, there's ten. You know, I never knew that your wind or effects or anything like this would. I never thought about that. But I thought, geez, a bloke could make a fortune at this, and. Uh, Anyhow, Ron said to me, how do you think you'd cope off this airstrip? I said, Christ. I said, I couldn't, I'd never. <clears throat> I said, it takes me all of a heart here to get a mosquito down, you know. And uh, he said, oh, well, actually, he said, we would, we would train you. He said, you'd be three to six months before you'd be out on an airstrip. He said, we'd train you so that you'd know where every nut and bolt is on the aircraft and take them off. And uh, he said, you'd never go uh, never go out in an airstrip until you're fully trained. I said, oh, that's, I thought, well, that's, that's, that's not so good. I won't be getting my $15 pound an hour or something or other, whatever it was all. And so anyhow, when I eventually got my, came to him, he he was out and he took me up um, in the target off, checked me out and said, oh, do a, do a few, you know, take off some landings and that, and, uh, or spend as much as long as you like. And I spent about an hour and got bored, you know, and, and he had me out on an airstrip the following day, top dressing. So that was so, so much for my three to six months, you know, and uh, I just, but we, with the Tiger Moth, of course, I look back at it and think, well, Jesus, you know, because some of the airstrips were just narrow gutted. You had no brakes, you had to re and rely on a farmer to, get hold of the wing to drag you around to set you off and uh, you know and you of course landing across winds and everything you, you, you no control and I know Rod Dalberg he was uh, of course Ron Graham had a he used to send us down to work in Dannyburg because there wasn't all that much work around here and Rod was you know he, the farmer was pulling him round to go down this Razorback strip and the farmer dropped his watch, and he promptly let the aeroplane go. And Rod was just, Rod just went over the side of the strip. You know, what? he couldn't do anything about it. And <laughs> and, and of course, trying to, you, you, you know, trying, you couldn't cope with cross winds or downwind. There. And then after that, we got the, uh, uh, we got the, the Cessnas, you know, to fly with the Cessna 180s, and they were. They were lovely to fly and everything, but uh, they were, they were, you know, too flimsy for uh, rough airstrips. And you had, uh, 
you know, various things used to happen all the time. But and then, then we got the Fletchers, and the, Fletcher, the original Fletcher had about 200 horsepower. And somebody said to me once, well, you know, these Fletchers are wonderful. They, you know, they're terrific on the ground. I said, yeah, but an airplane's supposed to go in the air. And they, these things don't, you know, you, you couldn't climb with. So they said, well, 1500 weight, you're supposed to cut. And they go, that'd go nowhere. But then, of course, they eventually got 400 horsepower motors in, and they, you could carry a ton comfortably. But uh, it wasn't my favorite aeroplane, but at the same time, if I had a choice, you know, to work with, that's the one that you'd uh, do, you know, you'd uh, do the best with. But uh, I had, I had the, uh, the, you know, you just had those sprung wheels on the Cessna, and I was at, uh, Working off a rough strip up at uh, near Paro, Wahi, and uh, uh, just you know taking off or no taking, landing, and the buddy uh, the leg collapsed on me. And what had happened? You've got a a, a sort of a self-locking nut up underneath there, and this self-locking lip, it's um, nutted undone itself, you know, and I went up on my nose, and except for bending the prop, uh, didn't do any damage at all, and and then Rod Dalbert, they brought in an edict that uh, was one, that with muscle, not muscle, metal fatigue, uh, these, all the undercarriage, you know, legs were to be, um, uh, were to be checked. So Freddie McDonald was an old engineer we had out here, and, he said, and old Fred had to check these, um, uh, you know, check these things. And he was checking, and he had a, you know, a welding thing or something or other, or whatever it was he was checking it with. And he, it's in Rod's aircraft, and he checked, and he touched the, uh, <coughs> the leg, and put a, put a, uh, you know, a hole. Just, just a little hole in there, and Rod went out, and the first thing, and the bloody leg cracked just across there, through, you know, when Freddie was checking it, he'd made a mistake, and the uh, leg cracked, but <coughs> no damage done other than that, but uh, they're bloody marvellous, you know, they used to take a terrific pounding, but we used to find the tail skids would break, you know, at, uh, at uh, the old Fletcher, of course, it was. It takes a takes a hammer, but oh, what a what a bloody clump! And the the original ones there were, you know, we used to take half a ton in the Cessna, and you could take it and climb away with it. But of course, the opposition firms were saying, well, they had 1,500 weight aeroplanes, and but of course, that if the bloody land was you know, was up, it took ages to get rid of it. A little later on, uh, I remember Bill Pentecost, uh, who was flying at Rotorua, and he was flying a beaver. And he's, of course, he, he had no time for the Fletchers, he had just, because the beaver would uh, perform, you know, and uh, it's, and he, he got, you know, he would use the beaver all the time rather than the Fletcher. But the Fletch, of course, they got rid of the beavers. And, a Beaver was a nice aeroplane to fly. It felt solid too, you know. It's, uh, 
that the tricycle undercarriage is, uh, you know, uh, was far better with the, the, the sea out front and everything. And I know when I, and the air truck, of course, was that uh, that was much maligned sort of aeroplane, but it was it was a nice aircraft to have. But it's uh, of course they advertised that as a, you know, you could carter fifteen hundred weight or eighteen hundred weight and everything. But it was comfortable on with twelve hundred weight. But uh, I don't know. I was <coughs> I was flying around and that chap I wanted to check up on the boundaries of uh, this farm, and the farmer had given me uh, a plan, and I said, oh, I'll, go, I'll go up and uh, fly around, and there was a young fellow there, and he said, oh, can I come up? And I said, well, there's no way you can sit with me. I said, you can hop in the back seat. He said, oh, yes. And, and I was looking at this plan, the next minute, bang, and I thought, Jesus Christ, and I thought, what the hell's happened? And I, anyhow, I, I thought, geez, I've lost a tooth, and I had, uh, you know, and I thought, geez, I, I got my tongue. I think, well, I thought I got my tongue on the tooth. I thought I might be able to get, you know, thinking of get the tooth back again, and my nose was bleeding, and, I, and the windscreen had gone. And I thought, well, I've hit something, but I don't know what it is, and I was dazed, you know. And anyhow, I landed, and the young fellow said, oh, what was what happened there? And I said, I don't know. I said we hit something, but uh, but I said I don't know what what it was. And uh, anyhow, he got up and looked in the cabin next, and he came out and he's got a duck there. <laughs> and uh, the duck had, uh, you know, the duck had gone through the windscreen and hit me in the uh, face, you know, and uh, of course it dazed me. That's <laughs> the air truck. That's. Uh, but they were a, they were a good good machine, you know. They uh, but if you carried the right load. But of course we were overloading all the time. And uh, but I remember Rod Dalberg, who was a, a you know a vampire. He flown, He was in the flying mosquitoes when I was there. Then he he was flying vampires. And of course I I likened the. Uh, the air truck to, to, you know, to a vampire, and he, he, he swore to Christ, you know, that uh, uh, he that he said that's that's sacrilege, you know, to compare that with a vampire. And I, said, and I was uh, I was refueling it out there at the drone one day, and uh, there was a big big bloke came along, and uh, and he. Uh, he had an American ac accent, you know, and he, he said, uh, "Excuse me, sir, but he said, uh, would you mind if I took took a photograph of your flying machine?" <laughs> and uh, I said, "No, by all means, go ahead, you know." And he said, yeah. "He said, well, uh, I do a bit of flying back in America, but he said I've got to take this photograph because they'll never believe this, you know, <laughs> because it was a peculiar looking aircraft, wasn't it?" And of course, when I uh, I suggested that, that that was a bit like the vampire, and somebody suggested it was it looked like a it looked like a flying duck or something or other, and and a drake was trying to. <laughs> but uh, oh, it's, it was it sort of handled you know a lot better than uh, than I thought it 
I'd expected it to, but you have to be bloody careful with the, the load if it start to stall on her. Yes, they had an air show out here, that's right, and I was, uh, I, I had to do a demonstration there. And Bill Salt, the, the loader driver I had, and you didn't, you know, in his, you could put a, you could put a bloody huge amount in the hopper, it was a huge hopper, and Bill, in his wisdom, filled the bloody thing right up, you know, and of course it was, uh, and he wanted half, and it was overloaded by four, all to hell, and, and I, it was my turn to take off, and I, I could feel it was, oh, Jesus, this is too, too heavy, but I thought, well, it's all right, I'll, I'll just drop a, you know, I'll drop the load when I came back, but then Murray Christophson in the control tower, and he, he called out to me, he said, could you, could you veer out to the right there and, uh, you know, let some, and I said, oh yes, I'll do that. I did that and of course there's a plantation of trees in front of me and I thought, Jesus, listen, and I could feel the ready thing, so I had to drop the bloody load and there was, or drop a big part of it out there and old, it gave me a bloody fright. Because <laughs> I can remember being at an air show at Hamilton and I spoke to this pilot, Freddie Myers, uh, about, and uh, he, because I said to him, I was talking to him, and he was an air truck I'd never seen one before, and uh, Ozzy James taking me down to York, and Ozzy James and I were standing there, and, but uh, I said to Freddie, uh, I said, "Oh, how are you? How are you finding the? Uh, how do you find the air truck?" And he, he said, "All right, now that we've ironed out the." Uh, you know, uh, fuel problems or something or whatever it was, and I didn't take any notice. But bugger me, then if he doesn't do us, and this is a rooker here, and the bloody motor cut, and he, he, he crashed out there, you know, and didn't do any harm, to it, but it looked, you know, he could have, and they said what a, what a great job the pilot did keeping the aircraft away from the crowd. I don't think he had much choice in it, it just down it went. And I, and I thought, hmm, well, that's, that's that, you know, but uh, I, I wasn't too enamoured of them then, but, uh, yeah. But when I left James, of course, and went to fly for Hamish with the air trucks, so, yeah. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, the, the Beaver, or what's the other aircraft I'd flown, the top dressing was, was a Snow. All right. Mm, and uh, it was, of course, it had a, 400, you know, a big motor in it, and it performed very well, but it didn't have very good brakes, and it didn't have any, uh, ha had no flaps, but it was a, you know, it was a good aircraft, and uh, it quite, quite powerful, but uh, it could have done with brakes and, and flaps, you know, or better brakes, mm. and uh, I did quite a bit of, uh, or quite a bit of spraying, you know, with that, so. And of course, I did quite a bit of spraying with uh, uh, for the low wing, uh, low wing Cessna. What? Uh, yeah, the um, egg wagon. Yeah, yes, and uh, it was all Cessnas were nice aircraft, a nice aircraft to fly, you know, and uh, the egg wagon was good. Mm. But uh, yes, I, I liked the <coughs> I liked the spraying. Because you know the top dressing became so 
monotonous, you know, up and down. And all I used to do is see this bloody great heap of super that I wanted to get rid of. Then you go to another place, but with the spraying that you, uh, you know, you'd be away for 20 minutes on a trip and back again. And it was far more lucrative than uh, than the top dressing. And that, I liked that. <laughs> and of course, another thing was too that. Uh, you know, whereas you could carry on and winds quite a bit with the top dressing, you, with the spraying, you, you're limited to, uh, you know, flying in pretty good weather most of the time. Hmm. Uh, that was. Hmm. So, how long were you a top dressing pilot, and when did it come to an end? Um, 1990, I think, when I uh, gave it away, and I started in. Uh, must have been 51, I think, when I started. That's a good long career. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had my moments. At, uh, I, uh, <coughs> I crashed the Tiger Moth down at uh, Waimana. And actually a pilot, because uh, I'd been flying top dressing for about a year or so then, and, uh, and there was a pilot, Len Pitcher, who uh, was flying, and he, Len was a... Oh, no, he was known as Bitcher, you know, but he, uh, well, then he wasn't a bad sort, but he told me, he said, oh, if you ever, anybody ever tells you to sew basic slag, he said, uh, tell them no, you know, and I said, oh, but, of course, basic slag is just uh, iron filings, you know, and it, uh, so anyhow, I was down at Wyoming and this uh, bloke came along, he said, oh, I've got uh, some basic slag there, can you sew that? And I said, oh yes, you know, didn't, and I got up and flew, and I didn't know, you know, how to, and I was flying, and I only opened the hopper a wee bit, and it didn't go, and I, so, so I realised that I had to open the hopper fully, and it would still, it was a bit like an egg timer, it wouldn't, you know, it would just come down in its own good time, and of course I got myself out of a bloody blind gully, and I, I there was no way I could dump because I had the hopper full open. It was still coming out in its own good time, so I pulled around, you know, and tried to get round the opposite direction. And uh, in doing so, I sort of stalled the aeroplane and finished up on a river bank, <coughs> and uh, just got uh, just got out of the, you know, didn't do my didn't do myself any good. I know the farmer came along, or Percy Looney, and he he. And my loader driver, Jack Fitzgerald, at the time, he came tearing up and he had the fire extinguisher there. And he saw me and he got, everybody got a hell of a fright, you know, and, and he just chucked the bloody extinguisher. He said, might have, might have realised you'd be all right, you know. And uh, anyhow, Looney, he took a, he took a, had a, a flask of brandy. He said, oh, have a, have a swig of brandy. I said, no, thanks. I'm, I was pissed off with myself, you know, and he said, no, I said, I'm all right, just don't worry about it, and, uh, oh, no, come on, have a brand. So, all right, I said, all right, just a bit. And I took the brandy, and I just made a, took a bit of a sip, and I heard a clunk behind me, and he had gone out like a light, you know, <laughs> everybody. So, uh, anyhow, I got up, and, uh, they, and that was, um, that was my first accident, and I had a few undercarriages pack up at different times. And then I was working at Waihee, and uh, 
I thought, well, you know, I'm getting, and I had a spare aeroplane, spare Fletcher, and I thought to myself, oh, I've got one trip to do. I thought, geez, then I'll have to gas up, and it was spare aircraft, and I was over the bloody hills there, at like, just turning around, and next one, and Bill Pentecost told me, he said, oh, if you ever, if you ever run out of gas, you know, on, uh, in these, slick, uh, I don't know whether 400 or not, but he said, put on your fuel gauge, fuel tank, fuel pump, and he said, you'll get another six, six minutes out of it. And I said, oh, that's right. Anyhow, I was over the hills there above Waihe, and it cut out, and I thought, oh, that's gas, all right. And I, so I put on the fuel pump, and I got, and that was it. And uh, so anyhow, I wasn't too worried, because of an airstrip that I'd been working on down below, <clears throat> and uh, I thought to myself, well, oh, well, I'll, uh, and I hadn't dropped, you know, I thought, well, I'll wait till I'm over some decent country to drop my load, and then, uh, anyhow, by this time, coming down, I saw the airstrip, and it was all covered in black cattle, so, uh, of course, that, that was, oh, that's not too, you know, so then I, I started, by this time, things were getting a bit serious, and I thought, well, there's another flat down there. But was, of course, I'd realised then I still had half a load of fertiliser, and I couldn't clear these gum trees. So I thought, oh, well, I'm just, just going to have to. So I finished up, and everything had got together, and I went boom, and down on the on a sidling, got out, and, <coughs> and hadn't done myself any harm again. But it uh, was. Uh, but that was a, you know, big no-no. You're not supposed to run out of gas. And, but and there were three of, but the Fletchers had a, uh, they had a fuel gauge out on the wings, and you couldn't. They, after that, there was two or three other pilots ran out of gas too, and uh, they put them inside on, the, on your um, instrument panel. But uh, it was, um, you know, it wasn't very. I wasn't very popular over that, <laughs> but I had, I've had a number of, um, or, you know, forced landings and things. With uh, I was at Wangamatavi one day sowing grass seed and uh, the uh, in the Cessna, and the bloody thing. Uh, I was up in the hills there, and the bloody thing cut out, and I came came gliding gliding down and. And landed on the airstrip, and uh, no problem. But it could, anything could have happened, you know. It's, uh, I'd forgotten what was wrong. It, it's something. But they brought the engineer up, and they something wrong with the motor there. But uh, <laughs> and I can remember there once. Uh, oh, there was uh, at Wangamata. They had the hotel. Hotel was up there, and they. Got me to come up, and they put an airstrip in, uh, uh, you know, uh, by the pub. But and anyhow, they uh, they got they'd taken all the topsoil, you know, put it to one side, and it was in a big heap there. And Bill, Bill, uh, well, the publican, he, he had a c couple of horses there. At, uh, anyhow, I was top dressing up there, and I, and they got me to. So I went across and checked up on the, uh, and I landed on this airstrip, which was, you know, no problem. And uh, anyhow, the uh, Bill 
Bill and his wife came out, and oh, she said, oh, we, you know, champagne for the boys. This is the first thing. So he bought a bottle of beer out and, <laughs> and that. But the Aero Club from Thames, who wanted to use that as a, you know, had phoned up to find out how the airstrip was coming along. And Bill, Bill said, oh, it's, it's good. He said, top dressing parlor just, he came in, landed here this morning. And, uh, so it's as good as gold. And uh, so anyhow, I went up. But the bloke came down with uh, the, uh, the top dressing, you know, with the Erica. And they had this big heap of soil there, and he must have he must have been must have had his head up his up his ass, or he just got hypnotised by this, and he went and landed in the uh, you know landed in the bloody heap of uh, soil and tipped the bloody aeroplane over. <laughs> anyhow, we were working, we came back, and this aeroplane was you know uh, was there and. No, no damage done to anybody. We landed and we went into the pub, having a few drinks, but you could hear bang, 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 and go, and went outside. And Bill's horses, one of the horses was there and had back legs and it was kicking that bloody aeroplane to death, you know. <laughs> That's the thought. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? <laughs> hmm. But the, the pilot must have, he must have been just, you know, he probably wasn't used to strip flying and things, and just got himself wound up. And uh, that's, uh, sounds like your air force um, flying was a bit safer than your civilian flying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed the air. Well, well, I enjoyed the top dressing for a couple of years, but then it became a real drag, you know. That, um, yeah. And uh, it was. Uh, but I'd, I enjoyed the spraying because, as I say, it was pretty lucrative and. Uh, you're a wafer, and you, and you really uh, only flow. You had to fly in very far better conditions, of course. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, very, very interesting. Well, it's, yes, it's just uh, uh, and you have, you know, I'm, I must say, I, I guess I'm lucky to be alive. You know, one thing and another, anything could have happened. And, yeah. I crash up at Waihe there, on the f and the one down at Waimana, and uh, it's funny enough, you know, each time no, no sense of no fire, and and quite bad crash for the aircraft written off. But uh, yeah. I was, I got out there without anything wrong, you know. And, yeah. yeah, amazing. Well, thank you very much for that. Oh, you're uh, welcome. It's yeah. fascinating. It's really, That's really good. I don't know if it's been much help to you or anything. Absolutely has, yeah. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.